there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. People seem to have some problems with this idea of being. I asked someone the other day, well, what is your being? And they said, well, is it this and is it that and is it this? And they had a lot of answers. And I said, well, does that mean you don't know? And, you know, I don't know why it is, but we have such a difficult problem saying, I don't know. But for some reason, we do. Well, wait, I do know what the difficult problem is. What is the difficult problem? Why we have a problem saying, I don't know. Pride. Yeah, it's pride. We want to know everything. And we want to think we know everything. We want everybody else to know we know everything. That has a tendency to come out of pride. If you do know everything, you usually just kind of shut up about it because you found by talking about it that people who don't know it don't like it. It's a low percentage thing to do is to go around knowing everything and telling people about it. You're better off just keeping your mouth shut for the most part. The work says that a man is his understanding. But he says that understanding is a composite thing. It's not just this one thing. It's a composite thing. There are two sides to it. The one side of understanding is knowledge, and the other side of understanding is being. The way that they develop determines your understanding. A man with great knowledge and bad being understands very little or nothing and misunderstands nearly everything. These people can be dangerous because, dangerous in that if they think they understand everything and they misunderstand nearly everything, then you can see how that could be a problem. Because out of their misunderstanding, they then do things that they think they fully understand and it can be very damaging, not only in their own life and in their own family, but with the people with whom they interact. So it can be problematic. On the other hand, you have somebody with poor knowledge. He doesn't have a lot of knowledge, but he has good being. And what that means is he'll have a little bit of understanding too, just like the guy with great knowledge and bad being. He has a little bit of understanding, but he has a lot of misunderstanding. Somebody with poor knowledge and good being has little understanding, but it's sound. He may not have much, but what he does have is his. What he does have is real. What he does have is sound. He'll understand what he knows. He's got a little bit of knowledge, but the little bit of knowledge he has, he fully understands. This is the way that I recommend. Unfortunately, because of our types, not everybody can have a little bit of knowledge and understand it fully. We're more inclined in this country and in our culture to have a lot of knowledge and a little bit of understanding. And basically, in our culture, we're more inclined to have bad being. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on. But people are confused about their being because they don't understand what it is. They relate essence to it. You ask some people what their being is, they'll say, well, what's my essence? Or they'll say, well, it's my essence and my personality and my false personality. And uh, I don't know what else. I don't know what being is. So I'm going to try and explain a little bit, according to my own understanding, what I understand and what I understand that the work teaches about being. And hopefully we'll all be able to have a little bit, maybe we'll be able to smooth our understanding out a little bit where it's low in some areas and high in other areas. Maybe we'll be able to fill up the valleys and bring down the mountains a little bit so that it's smoother, so that we understand more fully what little we actually know. And maybe we'll be able to see how little we actually know. If nothing 
something else happens than just to start to take away some of the things that we think we know and we don't really know, if we can just start to remove some of those, I think that already you're in a better position spiritually and already that will help your being and it will certainly help your understanding. People will use the term essence and being interchangeably. They'll say, well, this is my essence. Well, my being is my essence. My essence is my being. So let's try to understand being from broad differences of let's just take two kinds of being. Let's take mechanical being and conscious being. Now, did you know that being could be mechanical? Okay, so some do, some don't. This is why we're talking about this, because some people understand this or think they understand this, and some people don't understand this or think they don't understand this. If we can bring knowledge and being together here, then maybe we can develop some understanding about this. Maybe we can create some understanding about this or make some understanding about this. The being of a mechanical man is all that he is. That doesn't mean that's all he is. I don't mean it that way. Well, that's all you are. What I mean is it's all that he is. So what is he? He's false personality. He's imaginary I. He's acquired personality. He's different, contradictory eyes, attitudes, prejudices, and undeveloped child essence. All of that is what a mechanical man is. He is all of that, all packed into one package that we see as a body. We see as a physical body. The first impression that we have of someone is usually something physical. It's something that comes to us through the five senses, through one or two or three of the five senses. So we either smell them coming or we hear them coming or we see them coming or, or we can feel them and say, okay, that's a real person. Yeah, he's really there. But we tell by the physical body. So his physical being is the first thing that we, that we really take in as impressions. Because of his many eyes or egos, mechanical man's being is characterized by multiplicity while he imagines that he's one and the same all the time. Let's talk about mechanical being because this is something we are all familiar with. And if you're not familiar with it, then this work gives you the opportunity to study it and become familiar with it. And your laboratory, your lab is you. You are a good example of mechanical being. Of course, you say, well, but, but no, but sometimes I'm conscious, so sometimes I have conscious being. Well, you know, we haven't really defined conscious being yet, so why don't we just leave that out of the formula for now? Until we define conscious being, it's probably a better idea for you not to claim it for yourself. I know that we automatically do because it's part of mechanical man, isn't it? Part of mechanical man is to claim consciousness for himself and oneness for himself and unity for himself when he actually hasn't got any at all. But the thing is that he imagines he has because he has imaginary eye. A conscious man doesn't have imaginary eye. There's no place for an imaginary eye in a conscious man because he's conscious. A conscious being can't have imaginary eye. Do you have imaginary eye? Okay, so it pretty much leaves you out of the conscious being category for now. So just be happy to stay out of it, and you'll come to it as you come to it, but you're not there now, and the best thing to do if you're not there now is to tell the truth about it. Imaginary eye produces this illusion that we're always one and the same. If we're angry, we think, I'm angry. If we're happy, we say, I'm happy. If we're contented, we say, I'm content. If we're at peace, we say, I'm at peace. When actually, that's not the way it is. The way it is, is there is no I, except imaginary I, to claim those things. Imaginary I does just that. It claims those states as its own. They're not its own, but it claims them as its own. 
How many people do you know who, or maybe you know yourself, that you claim to be happy sometimes when you're not? Or that you claim to be depressed and you're not really depressed at all? You don't know what you are, but it sounded good, so you said that. So this imaginary I said that, or some I said that, and in my imaginary I said, yes, that was me. The only time imaginary I doesn't say, yes, that was me, is when it's saying, no, that was you, it's your fault. But the rest of the time, imaginary I is saying, yes, I think this, I feel that, I'm this way, I'm that way. Something we're all familiar with intellectually, but not familiar with practically. Practically, it's very difficult for us to see this about ourselves. But intellectually, it's very easy. We can put it up on the bookshelf. We can say, well, there it is. Yes, I have imaginary eye, and it's up there right next to the complete works of Sherlock Holmes. See it up there? Right up there? Yeah, that's it. And then there's the other one next to it, Pride and Vanity. So we have them all up on the bookshelf, and we can take them down and look at them anytime intellectually. But practically, we're not aware of them. Practically, we don't carry them around with us. That's our library. And our library stays at home while we go out and live life. And while we're out living life, we're living in this imaginary eye. And we're accessing what we can remember from the library. And then we go back and we check on it. And sure enough, almost everything is exactly the way we remembered it. And it's only because imaginary eye has this way of blinding us so that we can no longer see what's in the book. We now see what we think should be in the book because that's what we're experiencing. Because that's what imaginary eye says. So you can see that it gets to be very obscure quickly. And it can be very confusing. So it's this illusion of our oneness, of being the same all the time, one and the same all the time, that blinds us. That's the state of being of a mechanical man. It's not real being. And we're talking about being real today. If we're going to talk about being real, then we have to talk about real being. Because being real means real being. It doesn't mean being real. It means real being. So being real means being real being. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, being real being. Anyone can be real mechanically. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. You do it all day long. Okay, so then we say, well, being real means to be real. It means that if I think that you're a, a stupid person, then I need to be real and say, well, you're a stupid person. No, that's being mechanical. That's being really mechanical. That's not being real being. That's being mechanical being. It's important to understand this because we get confused. We start to lift our flaws up as virtues. We start to polish our flaws and say, well, this is really a virtue if I bring it into the light. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit, too, about bringing our virtues into the light. Bringing our virtues into the light is a good idea. The problem is, is that we're confused about virtue. And we're confused about it because imaginary eye blinds us. We can't see. And when you can't see, you're working in the dark. When you're working in the dark and you're blind, I mean, even a blind person is going to be blind in the light. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're already blind and you come into the light, you're still blind. The idea is to have this inner light. And this inner light is a different thing. But it's very difficult for us to get past imaginary eye because we're protecting it. Imaginary eye is the sentry at the gate so that anything comes in has to pass by imaginary eye. And imaginary eye doesn't let anything pass that is threatening to itself. So there's a problem there. A conscious man has real being. We can't grasp real being in our state, but we can try to understand it better through comparison in scale. I know there are people who probably are listening to this who are saying, well, I'm conscious. Keep observing yourself. Keep using the technique of proper self-observation, non-critical, non-identified self-observation, and observe the things that the work tells you to observe first. Observe the different eyes in you. Observe your negative states. Try not to go with those negative eyes. 
you, I'm speaking now to the conscious person who's listening to me, do you ever go with negative eyes? Do you ever find yourself that you went with a negative eye, that you're angry or you're upset with somebody and you found that you just went there? You just woke up there. It was like, oh, here I am. How'd I get this way? And then you say, oh, it was your fault. You made me negative. That is one of the conditions of a mechanical man. That is someone who's not conscious, someone who's not fully awake. And when that happens to you, that is evidence that you are not conscious, that you are not fully awake, that you cannot do, that you do not have, you do not have consciousness. You cannot say, yes, I can do this 100% of the time. A fully conscious man, a conscious man with real being, can do it 100% of the time. Never goes with negative eye. Never expresses negative emotions. Is always aware of what he's doing and is always doing it consciously. Now, if that's not evidence enough for you, then, like I said, just go back to self-observation and keep watching. Sooner or later, it will become clear to you if you sincerely wish to see it. If you can admit the possibility that you don't know everything, and I know that for some people that's impossible. They can't admit that. They're not ready for this work then. Just that simple. If you cannot doubt yourself, if you cannot admit the possibility that your memory is not perfect, that your thoughts are not always right, that you're not always right, and the way you think things and see things is not always the way it is. If you cannot admit even the possibility that that could be wrong, then this work is not for you yet. You need to go bash your face against the pavement for a few more years, then come back. After you've had some dental work and cosmetic surgery, then come back. And we'll go through this again, if I'm still here. A mechanical man trying to be real will manifest his being unless he works. Unless we work, we're going to manifest our being. And our being is mechanical being. So we're going to manifest mechanical being. The only way to stop that is to work on ourselves. If we don't work on ourselves, we will not stop our mechanical being from manifesting. When our mechanical being manifests, it will manifest like all the things we see in the world. Look at the world. Have you noticed that the world is at war? Have you noticed that people lock their doors and windows where there are other people living? Have you noticed that people lock their cars and almost all cars come with alarms now? Do you know why? It's because in the world, people steal. In the world, people murder. In the world, people hurt other people. In the world, people try to force other people to do what they want them to do. In the world, people resist that. In the world, you have tribulation. You have problems. You have a mess. In the world, you have people who have so much food that they're throwing it away. And in the world, you have people who have so little food that they're eating out of garbage cans. This is the manifestation of mechanical being. It's the manifestation of mechanical being, the negative emotions of fear, greed, anxiety, all the other things that breed that inequality, breed that insanity, breed that pain. And that's why this work calls this earth a pain factory. Because if you're here on this planet, you are going to have pain. And it may not be constant, but it will be recurrent. You will have recurring pain. It will come again and again and again until you fix whatever inside of you is creating it. And that is where we part company with the work. The work says it's until you fix within you what is creating it. But we say no. It's not anything in me that's creating it. It's those people out there. And so the first thing we have to learn is that it's in here. And that's not an easy lesson. It takes a long time and a lot of self-observation before we actually begin to see that we're not conscious, that we actually are mechanical, and that it is our mechanical being that is contributing to all of this in the world. So the mechanical man who is trying to be real, manifesting his being without working, and since his being is multiple and under illusion of imaginary eye, he'll be kind of like a bull in a china shop. He'll just manifest his being 
without restraint. And like I said, sometimes people get to this idea in their head that that's a virtue. Well, I'm just being me. Well, I'm just being real. Well, I'm just being genuine. Well, I'm just being sincere. And I think the misunderstanding comes from not realizing that when the work talks about being genuine, being sincere, being real, it's talking about being real with yourself internally. It's not talking about being real with other people externally. You're not supposed to be blabbing your work all over the world. You're not supposed to be squirting your work on other people. If you're working with negative emotions, work with your negative emotions inside of yourself, not outside on the blackboard of some human being or on the screen of some human being where you project your stuff and attack it there. Work with it in here where you can do something about it, not out there where the only thing you're really doing is pushing people away from you so that you don't have to be irritated by whatever it is inside of you that is triggered by that person. The problem is in here. It's not out there. So the problem needs to be dealt with in here, in our internal world, in our own being. Absence of unity in mechanical man means he'll believe himself. Now, I know himself is not a word, but it's exactly what I want to say. Because there is no one self. He can't believe himself because the only self to believe is imaginary I. Because he doesn't know anything else. And who is mechanical man? Who is this mechanical man we're talking about? Well, I am. You are. We're talking about ourselves. We're talking about ourselves, you and I. So this absence of unity in us, this multiplicity in us, means that we're going to be ourselves while imagining that we're being the same I, saying, I think, I feel, I wish, believing it's the same I acting all the time, believing it's the same I speaking all the time, believing it's the same I experiencing all the time. This is the most difficult nut to crack is this imaginary I thing, not saying I to everything. And it's not just not saying I. You see, I've seen people who then would not, they would avoid saying I. They would say, well, one, if one wishes to do this, one should, and one thinks, and they would talk about themselves in the third person and things like that. But inside, it was all the same. Outside, they structured their speech so that it sounded like it was supposed to sound. But inside, everything was the same. And it's like, you know what, Jesus talked about people like that one time. He said, these guys are like whitewashed sepulchers. Now, a sepulcher is a tomb. And he said, on the outside, they whitewash it so that it's all clean and pretty and shiny and bright. But inside, it's got all kinds of dead things in it. You know, nothing's changed. It's all dead inside. And what he's trying to say is, look, if you do it in an outer way and you haven't done anything in an inner way, then all you are is a whitewashed tomb. You're dead inside, but you look to people, you've painted yourself, so you look to people like you're alive. But you're not alive. You're dead inside. And you need to wake up. And that's the message. Well, that message was extremely offensive to people who were posing, who were pretending to be something outside, and inside they hadn't changed a thing. It was a horrible message to them. So they killed him. That shut him up. Now, of course, it didn't shut him up at all. 2,000 years later, people are still talking about it. So it doesn't work. Fixing the outside thing, stopping the voice doesn't work. Stopping the outside thing doesn't like, it doesn't work. It's internal. Again, we've got to deal with this internally. So is being real is merely imagination. Imaginary I lives in a house of false personality, which is built of imagination. Imaginary I lives in false personality. And false personality is made up of imagination. There's nothing real about it. It's just what we got from here, what we got from there. It's borrowed. Something borrowed, something blue, something old, something new. You know, That's false personality. It's just this hodgepodge, this eclectic pack rat mentality of grabbing this from here and that from there. And we have all these things. And we glue them all together. We weld them all together. Now we've got this. It's like junk art. 
You know, people go around and collect junk and then glue it all together until they have some shape. And they say, there it is, that's me, that's my art. And what we've done in life is the same thing. Imagine this false personality has collected all this junk art from all these other people and welded it all together, glued it all together, cemented it all together with, with whatever and packed mud in it and whatever it could to hold it all together. And that's us. And it's got some real treasures in there because we packed some personality in there and because essence is in there and there are some good things in there. But we've got it so mixed up with all this other stuff, it's difficult to sort one thing from another. And so we don't sort one thing from another. We just have imaginary I that handles the whole thing by calling it all I. And if we don't like what it's calling I, we, we put a buffer there. We say, well, I don't see that anymore. That's on the dark side of the moon. We don't have to look at that anymore. So this powerful form of hypnotism acts on us until we begin sincere, uncritical self-observation to weaken it so that we begin to awaken slightly. Sincere, uncritical self-observation. Genuine, sincere. Genuine and sincere are words that have to do with our internal world and how we genuinely, sincerely deal with what we see there. How we genuinely, sincerely wish to see everything that's there, no matter how dark, bitter, ugly, horrible, nasty it is. We genuinely, sincerely wish to face it in the light and accept it uncritically and without identification. Now, because that's so difficult, we don't do that very often. So you take the little things and you work a little at a time. Start with the little things. Let the big things be. Just let them be for now. When you gain strength and force from working with the little things, then you can move on to the bigger things. Now, if life is pressing you on some of the bigger things, then just try to observe without being critical, without going crazy, without saying I to it. Just try to observe. Do the best you can. But don't expect a lot. Just do the best you can and sincerely, genuinely be satisfied with whatever result you get, no matter how bad the result is in your estimation. You're just not there yet, and it takes a long time. People will not awaken. So the hypnotism is so powerful that the truth is it's rare for anyone to awaken from it. And if it wasn't rare, we'd see more people awake, wouldn't we? But you don't see many people awake. You see a lot of people trying to be awake. Actually, wait a second. You don't even see a lot of people trying to be awake. You see most people thinking that they're already awake. Walking around in waking sleep, most of them are dead in life. And you see a lot of whitewashed tombs in politics. Look at almost any celebrities. You're going to see pretty much whitewashed tombs. You look at them and you go, oh, wow, they, they're doing it right. If I had it right, I could be like that. Well, that's not necessarily the way it works. Just because it looks like it's all lily white on the outside doesn't mean it is on the inside. Most of those people are dealing with the same things you're dealing with or worse. And worse because you've been dealing with it longer and they didn't have to deal with it at all because they could throw money at it or they could throw their reputation at it or they could throw prestige at it or they had people to cover for them. Well, you've had to deal with it. So count yourself fortunate for that. Oh, yeah, I can see we're really counting ourselves fortunate for not living in Beverly Hills, huh? People will not awaken from sleep because they won't see this is true of themselves. If you can't see that imaginary I has got us hypnotized, then (laughs) you're not going to awaken. You're not going to awaken from sleep. They're sure they're awake already. They're sure they're fully conscious. Just like most of the time, you're sure you're awake. You're sure you're fully conscious. And it's a big shock when you find out you weren't. Uh, Patty, I think it was Patty the other day. What was that about something? Oh, you had something in your purse and you forgot to give it to me. And I said, isn't that funny? We go to a meeting on Wednesday night where we're, we're going to try and be awake. And we forget to give somebody something. And why? Why did we forget? Well, because we weren't awake. Just that simple. So we go to a meeting to be awake and what do we find out? We're not awake. And that's what you find out at these meetings. And that's what this work is about, to find out you're not awake. When you find out you're not awake, you've had a moment of awakening. When you realize, God, I wasn't awake. That's awakening a little bit. 
But it's when you go on thinking you were awake the whole time. That's when you haven't awakened at all. That's when you're in complete sleep. Oh, yes, well, I'm not. I'm fully conscious. Yes, of course. By weakening a fixed idea about ourselves, we make a little room inside of us in which we can change. It's like a little wardrobe. When we weaken some fixed idea about ourselves, the fixed idea like that we're never unhappy or that we're never, never negative, or we're never angry or we're never afraid or we're never weak or we're never asleep. When you start to weaken a fixed idea like that, you create this little wardrobe inside yourself where you can change. You can change into something else. You can wear something else. You remember we've talked, and we've talked for a couple of weeks now about psychological clothing. You know, the silly hats, and we've talked about shoes, and we've talked about the wedding garment. So we've talked about that. So this isn't a new idea to you. But you can change into something else in that little wardrobe that you create in yourself by weakening fixed ideas. How can a man be an angel in public and a devil at home? The answer is he's not one. He's got domestic eyes, and he's got public eyes. And they're totally contradictory. And, you know, often you'll know somebody publicly and then you see them at home and you're shocked. They're so different. You're just shocked. And it's like, you're shocked because you took that person as one. Do you know why you took that person as one? Because you take yourself as one. That's right. And when we take ourselves as one, one of the flaws of taking ourselves as one is that we automatically take other people as one. How ridiculous is that? Can you see how many problems that causes? You take this person as one. So if they don't behave as one all the time consistently, then you're going to be upset. You're going to be negative. You're going to be offended. How dumb is that? So we do it to ourselves once again. Now, he'll have other eyes as well, not just domestic eyes and public eyes. He'll have other eyes as well. All the time imagining that he's fully conscious. And all the time he'll imagine not only that he's fully conscious, but that this I that he calls I that is fully conscious is controlling him. It's controlling everything he does. The I that we attribute to our being is fictional. When you say my being, the my, the I that's saying my is fictional. It doesn't exist. It's not a real character. It's acquired. It's made up. It's borrowed from someone else. You may just as well have gotten it from the complete works of Sherlock Holmes. That may be your Watson I or your Moriarty I, or it may be your Sherlock Holmes I. It doesn't matter. It's some I that you borrowed from somewhere else. It may as well be from Sherlock Holmes or from the Bible or from the Grapes of Wrath or whatever. It may be from anything, or it could be from the guy you knew down the street, or it may be your uncle, or your aunt, or who knows, or your father, or your mother. Who knows where that came from? It's acquired. It's not yours. You borrowed it from someone else, and they borrowed it from someone else. So who knows how long that's been passed down, probably from Adam and Eve or before that. The reason escape is so difficult is because it deprives us of our vanity to realize the truth about ourselves. We aren't going anywhere without our vanity. And when we're deprived of our vanity, we generally stop in our tracks. We don't like that. We don't like being deprived of our vanity. And so it's difficult to escape because this whole work that helps you to escape from this, the first thing it does is start to deprive you of your vanity. You start to look at yourself and you can't look at yourself as you've looked at yourself all along, thinking how wonderful you are and how you're going to be okay and how it's really other people that need to change and how you're really a pretty good person and how as everybody else could be as generous and kind and loving as you are, the world would be a wonderful place. Wouldn't it? I mean, come on. If everybody else, if everybody in the world was at least as kind and generous and wonderful as you are, wouldn't the world be a better place? Yes, that's what you really think. That's vanity. And this work deprives us of our vanity. If we're still thinking that, then obviously the work hasn't touched that part of us yet, has it? The hardest part is we must see it for ourselves. To be told by another, and I know this very well, is infuriating. If I tell another person, they get so mad they can hardly see straight. No matter how much that person loves me, no matter how much that person trusts me, if I tell them certain things, they get infuriated. 
And there's some things you just cannot say because they have to be seen for ourselves. We must see them for ourselves. Does no good to be told. Thus, the work starts with self-observation. See it for yourself. Observe in yourself that it's true. Until then, we have nothing to talk about. Until you can see that what I'm talking about is true in you, we have nothing further to discuss. You must be able to come to me and say, you know what? That is so true. That is exactly what I found in me. Now we can go to step two. Until then, all we can do is talk about step one. We can talk about step one for years before someone is willing to see it in themselves. You see, the truth is it's none of my business to show you that it's so. It's up to you to see that you're not one, but many for yourself. You must see this yourself. But you can't just see this once and put it on the bookshelf next to Sherlock Holmes, the complete works of Sherlock Holmes, next to the Iliad. You have to see this for yourself every day. You must live in this awareness. This must be your state of awareness. I am not one. I am many. Which I is talking now? Which I is thinking that? Which I says that? I hope you're getting the idea that you're not as close to that as you thought you were. The possibility of reaching real eye is latent in man. And we're created as self-developing just so that we can attain real eye in us. It's your destiny to reach real eye. That is what you are here for. That is why you exist. You exist for one reason and one reason only. You were created to become, to reach real eye. That's why you're here. You may think you're here to be a success in business. You may think you're here to be a good wife. You may think you're here to be a good beekeeper. You may think you're here to get a great career. You may think you're here to help children. You may think you're here to be a good executive assistant. You may think you're here to bring peace and love to the world. And none of those things are true, primarily. What is true primarily is that you are here to reach real eye. And all those other things are secondary to that. But we have it all turned around. We're here to do all those other things first so that that will give us the leisure to reach real eye. And it's a lie. And it's backwards. It's upside down. It's inside out. It's wrong thinking. And it needs to be fixed. But until you see it needs to be fixed, there's no hope of fixing it. There's no way the work can fix what you don't want fixed. There's no way that the work ideas can correct what you don't want corrected. You must first see that it needs to be corrected. When you don't attain real eye, you have no lasting peace within you. It's not lasting. It comes and goes because there are so many different eyes. We must first discard many illusions. We must first discard many unreal things. So this work is a process of discarding for a long, long time. It's no good calling our negative states our being and giving ourselves license to express them, saying, life is real only then when I am. And Gurdjieff said, life is real only then when I am. So I'm going to be real. If I think you're a piece of garbage, I'm going to tell you you're a piece of garbage. That's not what Gurdjieff was talking about. He was talking about real being, being real being, not being real mechanical being. He was talking about being real being. Life is real only then when I am. If you're going around squirting your negativity on other people, is life real? Well, yeah, it's really negative. But that's not the real that he's talking about. The reality of life, not this insane manifestation that false personality has created and perpetuates, not this pain factory that grinds out suffering and agony and grief, something real, something else, something that we don't know about yet. Where's the work in being true to our negative selves? And where did the work ever say, you must be true to your negative selves? You must be true to your negative states. If you're negative, then be real, express it. No. Try not to express negative emotions. If you're negative, be real and try to go with a better eye. But it 
takes so much courage to express my negativity. Yes, there are people like that. There are people who have posed for so long. There are people who have pretended for so long that to be angry, to be negative, to be whatever is hard for them. It's hard for them to manifest it because then other people will see what they don't want them to see. So that's a good reason then to do it? No. It's a good reason to work. And to work means to internally go inside and see, yes, I'm afraid to be negative in front of this person because they'll see that and they'll know that I'm negative. And I want to be negative just so that I can face that. And so I see that that I isn't me either. And the next I that comes up isn't me. And the next I that comes up isn't me. The I that you want to settle for is the one that uncritically, in an unidentified way, recognizes all of that as just the state of the machine and lets it go doesn't have to express any of it, just lets it go. Let's the negativity go, let's the desire to express the negativity go, let's the desire to confront the negativity go, let's the desire to hide the negativity go, let's the desire to, to transform the negativity go, let's it all go. The work is in admitting to ourselves what we are. That's the work. The work is not something that happens out here in the world. The work is something that happens inside. If it's not happening in you, it's not happening. If you need someone else to participate with you, you're not working. Work happens in here. You're a self-developing organism. Develop yourself internally. See, that's like admitting, you make me negative and calling it work. You make me negative. Now I'm working because I'm being real. No, you're just being mechanical, which of course is the only real you can be when your reality, when your being is mechanical being, then the only real you can be is mechanical. Remember that when Gurdjieff says, life is real only then when I am, he's not talking about being real mechanical real. He's talking about reaching real I. The only time life is going to be real is when you reach real I. We do reach real I in flashes. There are times when we touch real I. All of life is transformed in an instant. Everything is transformed. You're transformed. People are transformed. The world is transformed. Everything is brighter. Everything has more hope. Everything is incredible. Everything sparkles. And then we lose touch with it. And when we lose touch with it, we try and pose the state. We hang on to the state. We try and imitate the state. It's natural. It's human nature. It's what we do. It's what mechanical man does. He tries to mechanically reinvent it. He tries to mechanically keep it going. It's normal. Don't criticize yourself for that. Just notice it. That's what the work is. Notice that you do that. Admit that you do that. Tell the truth about that. You don't have to take out an ad in the newspaper. And if you find that it's helpful to share it with someone else without it going directly to false personality, swelling your head so that you become even more unbearable than you already are, then fine. But I'm not willing to take that risk most of the time. Here's the deal. You must see the truth for yourself. You must see that there is no such person as you. This is so hard. There is no such person as James Parkinson. There is no such person. This is a figment of my imagination. And the one that you're calling James Parkinson is a figment of your imagination. There is no such person. The person you love or the person you hate or the person who irritates you or the person who inspires you, there is no such person. He's a fictional character, just as fictional as Sherlock Holmes. What we call ourselves is a Frankenstein made up of a lot of people that use our name and we take as ourselves. You see, Frankenstein, you remember, he was parts. It was just parts. Well, that's what we are. We're a Frank. A false personality is a Frankenstein. It's a monster of parts. It's got Abby Normal's brain. It's got so, so-and-so's arm, some thieves' arm. It's got some boxer's leg. It's got all these different parts, and they're all sewn together in this hodgepodge, this quilt, this patchwork of insanity. And that's what we're calling I. A conscious man has real being. And therefore he can do, because he has unity, real I, one will, and one will can do. 
But many wills can't. Many wills, something might happen. Many wills, some little thing might happen. But it happened because that's the only thing could happen. It couldn't be any other way. It couldn't happen any other way than the way it happened because that little I was in charge. And so it happened because that's the only thing that little I can do. But you weren't in control of it. You were just calling it I. You were just imagining that you had control of it. All the things that happen in our lives, we're imagining we have control over it. Or a lot of it. The only things that are out of our control are the things that other people, bad people did, that they need to change. Those bad people need to change or be eliminated so that our lives would be perfect. I hope this scenario is ringing true with you because if you don't see this, we need to start back from page one. Each eye has its own will and it wills what it wants. You have this little eye that wants money. It wills that. And so it gets as many other little eyes that want money, that want power, that want whatever money will get them. It gets them together and they start a gang. And we'll call it, you know, the money gang, the green gang. Okay, it's the green gang. And the green gang all gets together. They have daily meetings, maybe hourly meetings. And they all get together and they count their money and they talk about their money and they see how they're going to earn more money, how they're going to get more money, how they can save money, how they can get something for less money. The little green gang, they're all about money. So they want money, so that's what they will. And as long as they're in charge, that's who's running the show. And you'll get money. What one eye wants is different from what another eye wants. And so a mechanical man can't do. So a mechanical man, he wants to be enlightened. But he's got the green gang, and they want money. And so he spends 90% of his time doing what the green gang wants. And 1% of his time doing what this work guy wants to do. This enlightened, well, I want, I want to be enlightened. I want to wake up. But he doesn't have any time to wake up because the green gang's running everything. When the green gang's not running anything, the purple gang's running something. That's the sex one. When the purple gang's not running anything, then the black gang's running something, you know, or the blue gang's running something, or some other gang's, the yellow gang's running something. See, and it's like that. Circumstances and training acting on him make him do as he does. He can't help it. It's mechanical. Only when he tries to go against his mechanicalness does he feel his strength. What strength? Well, the strength of those eyes, the strength of the mechanical side of us. Try and go against it. Try and stop it. Then you'll find out what you're up against. But as long as you're going with it, it's cool. My life is good. Hey, my life is good, man. I'm getting what I want. My life is good. Which eye? This eye. This eye. Me. I, I'm getting what I want. That eye. Imaginary eye. No, this is an imaginary eye. This is me. This is what I want. This is what I set out to do. This is my work eye. This is real eye. This is me. Yeah. Take a look at that, people. Just take a look at it. In order to do, a man must first be. Real being, not this confused, shifting mess of conflicting eyes running off the mouth and calling it being real. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about mechanical eye. I'm not talking about imaginary eye. I'm talking about real eye. We must crave being. But unfortunately, imagining that we have it, we don't. When I say crave being, I mean crave real being. If you want to be real, then you must have real being. You can't be real until you have real being. So you must crave real being. Yet as long as you imagine you have real being, you can't get it because you think you've already got it. The problem is that imagination satisfies our lack, preventing us from seeing we have no real being. Real I exists in us. Real I exists in you. And we can touch it under exceptional circumstances so that we know what it might be like to have real being. In those exceptional circumstances, you've had a flash of it, so you know what it might be like to have it. Maybe not for a long time, but you have a taste of it. You know something about it. You know that it's something that's worth working for. When you touch real eye in you, everything changes. Fear leaves us. Anxiety leaves us. The unreal, the invented, simply evaporates. It's gone, disappears. That's not where we're living. If you're in fear, anxiety, if you're troubled by the unreal, if you have this inner uneasiness about you, that something's pending, 
the sword of Damocles is hanging over you, then you don't have real eye. Well, I just don't have real eye right now. All the rest of the time I have real eye. No, all the rest of the time you have imaginary eye. Because if you have real eye, that doesn't happen to you. How do we know that? Well, because people who had real eye, that didn't happen to them. How do we know that? We have a record of how they lived. We have eyewitnesses of how they lived. And it didn't happen to them. When you have real eye, your whole feeling of eye is transformed. We're no longer the self of which we were conscious of being, but a new person. The false, the unreal, the invented is gone. As we are, we have to work long and hard against everything false to reach this state permanently. We can reach it, flash here and a flash there. That's great. And that's wonderful. And we should. We should reach it as often as we can. And we should drink whenever we get a chance to drink of that. Whenever we get a chance to taste that. Whenever we get a chance to touch that. We should. And we should embed it in our work memory and remind ourselves that that's what we're going for and settle for nothing less. Settle for nothing less. Keep working until that is yours permanently. If you're ready to settle for something less, then do it on your own time. That's not where I'm going. I will not rest until I reach it permanently. Now, I have no idea how long that's going to take, but it doesn't matter. It takes what it takes. It's no good opening the floodgates of bad being attempting to be real. Our job is to purify our being until there is only real being, real I, and the rest has fallen by the way. And purification means elimination of the impure. And what is impure in us is everything that we've gathered, everything that we've acquired, basically everything that we call I. And if that's not depressing... It's because you're listening with the right eye. And if it is depressing, it's because you're letting little eyes already tear down the work. They don't understand the work. They have no business listening to it. Well, they can listen to it, but they shouldn't talk. Just let them listen. And maybe something else will understand. Until then, listen with the best eyes you've got and go with the best eyes you've got. And always reach for higher eyes. Always reach for higher eyes. If you find yourself negative, always reach for something higher. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.